You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the XG Underperformance Podcast, a podcast in which two fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Leeds United, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Elland Road. I'm John McKenzie, freelance writer and podcaster, and I'm joined by Jamie Kemp, football editor at Opta Sports. Jamie, how is it going? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, hanging in there, coming to terms with what happened at the weekend, just about. Yeah, we spent the last five minutes trying to G ourselves up to be positive to talk about Leeds United. So it's going to be interesting to see how it how it goes. Um, this is, of course, the the January review podcast. So actually, I suppose the the month starts off quite positively. I say quite positively because um, that the, the the positive results that we had consisted of a draw and a loss. <laughs> um, so, but we'll go from there. So we started off. The new year with uh, a draw uh, away at West Brom, and it felt as though that was the the point at the end of our poor spell. Um, naively, it, it, it turns out at this point, uh, but a one-one draw put us back top of the table, and um, it felt as though we had a few easy games coming up before we had our tough run. And now we've had those easy games and they haven't gone quite so well. We then had uh, a FA Cup loss to Arsenal, which was a, a really positive first half uh, and then a little bit more disappointing in the second half. But it showed that we could compete at that level, which was which was nice. And it felt like a free hit, uh, a game that didn't really have anything riding on it. We didn't ha- have an extra game to slow us down. And that meant that we were going to have a a bit of a break at some point in that easy run. Um, and then afterwards, the disappointment um, of Sheffield Wednesday losing 2-0 uh, with two late goals there after having uh, probably done enough to win that game. Uh, QPR, similarly, uh, a goal that probably should have been disallowed when Naki Wells handballed it into the net. And then the sort of one bright point, if you can call it that, because Leeds were 2-0 down within about 20 minutes against Millwall uh, and came back uh, in in exciting fashion. But I think the story of the month is that it's just been frenetic. It's been polar opposites. It's been, oh, we're actually top of the league. Now we can turn our form around and, and push on and actually everything's going to be okay to, 
oh, you know, we still have the same old problems. We still haven't fixed any of those issues that we talk about all the time. So yeah, it, it's January has felt a little bit backwards and forwards. Um, what would you what would you say about January, Jamie? How do we look at the end of January compared to the beginning of Jan- January? Has there been a big change, or is it really much of the same? And we're just sort of lucky that other teams around us haven't kicked on. The the games where we've been stung has been a combination of back to our absolute worst in terms of under underperforming xG numbers and not finishing chances that we create combined with the fact that every shot the opposition has seems to be flying in at the moment. Um, Man City are experiencing the same thing now and they're not a terrible team. It's just you go through these runs when when teams, whether it's through mistakes of our own or shots just flying in, it's, it's hard to explain in, until you're, you're out of the other side really. But um, our last two games, Millwall, Wigan, we've... We've performed really well in terms of creating chances and, and limiting opposition chances. Um, obviously, Wigan is very fresh in our minds at the moment, but I refuse to believe that a team that put up 4.14 XG against Millwall just a few days before is is now a bad team. Um, I should say that we still underperformed our XG in that Millwall game, uh, which it, it just says everything, really. But, um, yeah, I mean... Numbers wise, on paper, the, these performances don't look bad at all. Really, um, we've we've created more chances than our opposition in every game, apart from West Brom, which was pretty tight. So, um, I don't, although it does feel like alarm bells when you're sort of in the stadium watching them, especially on Saturday. I don't think it's quite panic time just yet. You've you've mentioned Man City, obviously City had a, a sort of Leedsy game at the weekend. Um, it's funny because I I went to the um, to New White Hart Lane to get away from Leeds. <laughs> I was like, I'll go and watch an entertaining game of football in which there's a just result, and uh, it felt as though I was watching <laughs> exactly the same thing that I always watch with Leeds. Um, but I wondered whether or not you thought that the players get impacted by this narrative uh, that that we're a team that create a lot and just don't finish and whether or not that's playing into our problems because we've we've had a lot of questions about underperformance of xg and we can we'll talk about that later i think but how much do you think that the more pressure a team is under when they start underperforming xg um how much do you think that suddenly starts compounding itself and players think you know if we miss this maybe it is a thing um and and that's probably playing at the back of their minds yeah i think it's impossible not to when when it's been so stark um we're actually, you know, you, you don't want to look at everything through underperforming XG and these numbers, but we are underperforming by almost twice as much as we were last season. And that, that felt drastic then. So um, it, when you see those figures and you see the amount of shots and all, all the attacking work that we do, the reward just remains so modest. Um I think when we, especially when we play at home, if if we can if we can open the scoring score within our first sort of eight to ten chances of the game, just the the environment just becomes much not easier to play, but it it allows the players a bit more expression and to not feel like they're shackled and and they're stuck in this thing where the ball just won't go in the net. Uh, 
like West Brom last season, that was a huge game. We score in the first minute and everything just flows from there. But especially in these past few games, Millwall, we're just giving up such a weak goal just to make life just harder than it already is in the Championship. Wigan again um, <coughs> later in the week. And we're just, alongside this uh, fit failure to convert chances, we just we have to stop conceding the, the first shot that we we allow from the opposition and we, we just can't be making life more difficult for ourselves than it needs to be yeah and I guess in that vein we talk about not finishing but looking back over the the goals that we've given away I think there's a there's there is an explanation for why for example Kiko Kassir can concede such a high percentage of shots on target if you consider the fact that Leeds do play in such a way that leaves them open. And we know this. We know that Leeds are vulnerable, for example, in the left-back area, um, just by dint of the way that we set up. But I do think that... And, and I've ha- had a lot of friends who I've talked to and said, you know, why? how how can it be the case that Kiko Kassir can concede 76% of chances on target over a five-game spell? That's just wild. Uh, and their sort of gut response has always been, well, you know, that's a Bielsa team. That's what they're going to do. But if you actually look at those those chances I mean the one the chance against Wigan which albeit was in February but that's a that's a goal that has come from uh from a, just a very low percentage chance um fluke off a corner uh the Millwall games obviously there's a there's a penalty in there as well um the QPR game I mean that's that's not our fault that that sort of goal goes in um, the Sheffield Wednesday game turned on the fact that a goal went in from a very, very wide angle under very little pressure. And so I think the frustration for me sort of comes from the fact that if you think about why Leeds might be conceding goals, you can say, yeah, you know, we, we are going to probably concede higher quality chances by the way that we play. But we're not with the goals that we're conceding aren't really higher quality chances. They're just um, a lot of the time either highly unusual outliers um, or they're just sort of chances where you think oh, come on the keeper's got to do better there or oh, come on don't don't jump in on that challenge and, and we'll be fine uh, so I wondered if you had any thoughts on on that side of things is it is it simply the case that the that that sort of uh, mental fragility isn't just operating at the level of the strikers it's happening at the level of the defense as well uh, possibly yeah if, if you look back at the goals that we've conceded this this past month it's just it just makes your eyes bleed uh just the fact that we're not conceding uh great chances either in terms of quantity or quality so it just sometimes as we mentioned before um the fact that this some performance is weighing on the players minds when when you have to when you have to work so hard to construct and and create these opportunities. So much off ball running. So much, so much uh, focus goes into when we try to score a goal, and then you see, you see what the opposition have to do with score a goal against us. It's just, it must be fr- so frustrating for the players. Obviously, it's for the fans, but um, yeah, it's just, it, it's it's really frustrating, and it it feels like we we always just come back to this, and it's just a never ending theme since since Bielsa came in. Yeah. At the other end of the field, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on the question of whether or not Jean Kevin Augustin should have played at the weekend against Wigan. There seems to be this. Let me pose the question differently: If you were, if you were Marcelo Bielsa, 
and you've got a player like Patrick Bamford um, in your team who's wildly underperforming his expected goals, what do you do? How do you solve that issue? Is it as simple as just bring in someone else and then drop Bamford to the bench? Uh, or do you think it's a little bit more complex than that? It is more complex than, than just pinning your hopes on Augustan and the hope that he's, he's going to change everything. But in regards to the first point, I did think Augustan should have been on the bench uh, on Saturday. Less so for the fact that he has he does look like a dangerous player who can finish and um, gets his shots off quickly in the box. It was just more for the what it would do for the atmosphere, really. Just last last fifteen twenty minutes, you would hope that we wouldn't need an impact sub at home to Wigan, but <laughs> we, that, that's how it ended up. Um, I just felt like if you know we know what those days look like for Bamford when it's it's just not going to happen for him, and if Inketi was there, I'm sure he would have come on um, on Saturday, but. I just felt um, Wigan had defended, you know, relentlessly for majority of the game, and if we could have had that spark in the last twenty minutes, not even just from what Augustine could have done in the game, it's, it's hard to say what what he had in him. But I just feel like the crowd would have really lifted, and we'd have we'd have put some serious pressure on Wigan that last twenty minutes. I guess let's let's pose the counterfactual then, because. Um... Jean Kevin came on for the twenty. Well, he played for the twenty threes from the start. Played forty five minutes and basically chubbed his way around the pitch for for forty five minutes. Um, say that uh, Augustin had had that same kind of performance against Wigan. Say he'd come on at half time and uh, basically looked off the pace, a little bit overweight um, and nothing special. Do you think that would have had a negative impact in the sense that you said that it could have had a positive impact just? By dint of the fact that we'd brought on uh, a new player, what what extent do you think that the negative aspect could have come into play there? I think the negative Im- um, impact would have been it, it would have almost felt like a free swing, just giving him fifteen minutes at the end. I feel um, if he'd have come on at half time, then it would have been it would have had much bigger implications. But I just felt I know Bielsa is he's so focused on the process and controlling everything that he can, but. I do feel like uh, it, you know, it wouldn't be the end of the world just to roll the dice sometimes. Uh, and I felt like Saturday was an acceptable opportunity to do it. So let's talk. I think we should let's just talk briefly about each of the games. So West Brom one-one, two goals from Semi Ajayi, <laughs> one at each end. Um, how did you feel about? It's a long time ago now, so so rack your brains. But um, it felt like a fairly competent performance from us for me. Uh, it sort of started off. A lot of our games actually seem to start off quite uh, underwhelmingly at the moment. I think I'd say in the first ten minutes we we look like we're struggling to build out from the back, and we take a little while getting into the game. And I would also say that we actually look probably stronger in second halves than first halves. Whether or not that's because teams uh, are creating game states where we're down and they're defending, I don't know. But um, how how did you feel that the West Brom Given that against West Brom, those have been the two games where we've probably looked the most tetchy in terms of um, in terms of our flamboyant style. Uh, how did you come away from the the West Brom game feeling? It was definitely um, the second half was uh, quite impressive. I thought um, the way we came back into it, especially after again conceding such a daft goal so early on, just making life harder for ourselves again. Um, but I thought. 
I thought in the second half we, we really gathered a rhythm going forward, uh, getting Costa and Harrison involved that wide, uh, as well as the fact that Bamford came on at half-time and he, di- he did play well that game and it felt like, uh, well, maybe it was just wishful thinking, but you felt like possibly a, a passing of the torch with Nketiah going, Bamford coming on and changing the game, playing much better than Nketiah did and you hoped that would be the point where it was like, yeah, I, I'm the I'm the the real number nine now. Uh, I've I've shown that I can I can offer more than Enketia does in terms of overall play, and I've I've influenced the goal as well. Got us into a game against the big rivals, so um, I I was quite happy with the performance that day, to be honest, especially after such a, a bad start. And then obviously onto the Arsenal game, which was a sort of really nice day out for us. Uh, it was a really good performance, sort of put us on the map a little bit, made us look competent. Um, we talked about this quite a bit in the last episode, so I don't think there's any need to really go through the Arsenal game. But I guess my question is, how do you go from the Arsenal game then to the to the Sheffield Wednesday game? It feels it feels as though we've given a really good account of ourselves. We've sh- really shown off what we can do when the pressure's off. Um, and then you, you come into the, the Sheffield Wednesday game where you... Like we said, give give away a, a really cheap goal um, late on in the game, uh, a, a sort of failure by Dallas to deal with the ball under very little pressure, uh, and then obviously the Murphy goal coming from a situation where you would nine times out of ten expect either the keeper or the defender to deal with it. Um, what again? And I know it feels as though we're sort of banging on the same old drum here, but. Um, I guess my question is like how can how can a team go from being so competent, so um sort of smart looking, so obviously tactically drilled, um, and then and then end up producing a, a result like that? Is it simply the case that I mean this <laughs> obviously is just the case that we just have an inability to finish chances, but um I just I, I struggle to get my head around the fact that the team can look so different one week to, to the next week. Yeah, on top of the things you mentioned, there's obviously a, a big stylistic element playing away at Arsenal against a team who, under Arteta, they, they're actively looking to, to get on the ball and control the game that way versus Gary Monk away from home. Ten men behind the ball, two two lines of, of, of four. or I think they played 4-3-3 three, three that day, actually. So, line of five midfielders, um, which, you know... As a good team, it's a consequence that a lot of sides will come to Ellen Road and, and sit back and just close space and make it difficult for you to build up re- real momentum and pace in your attacks, uh, which, which was apparent on, on Saturday as well. Um, but again, against Wednesday, we continue the theme of conceding a ridiculous first goal, which, which sentenced the game really. Obviously, New EU scored after, but that was just, We'd sort of we sort of zoned out by then, uh, feeling a bit sorry for ourselves. Um, yeah, it's just the the difference in the game was a shot from an angle that, sh- that shouldn't be scored, and then we we go away with with no points, and then an ex an extra load of sort of um, baggage into uh, that we take into into coming games, uh, and you just we don't want to be building more pressure and and. You know, inviting um, um, you know consequences onto future performances because we just, like we said, you know, we just 
we cannot be conceding such daft goals when we have to work so hard to score our own at the other end. Hmm. I wonder whether or not you think that, I mean, it feels to me as though we have almost created a team that will be brilliant in the Premier League within reason, given the given the assets that we have. But the problem is, is that we're going to struggle in, in the league that we're in to get out of it, simply because there is an expectation that, and and if you look at the underlying numbers, it's something that we you see with City, like Leeds are so far and away the most competent team in terms of possession, in terms of creating incisive attacks, in terms of uh, dominating games. Almost every metric that you'd want to prioritise as an attacking side, we're hands and away the best at it. Um, and that means that, and this is another question that we get a lot actually on the on the on the Twitter account is, why don't we try and sit deep? Um, against teams for a change um, but that's kind of not how it works really you can't have two teams sitting deep against themselves and, and teams come out against Leeds expecting to be dominated expecting to be um, caused all kinds of problems and so I think part of the frustration that we that we feel comes from the fact that the the opposition are just coming out to see what they can get so every game feels like a complete shit house basically because that's what teams are coming to do the best chance of getting a result against Leeds is to sit deep and just hope you grab something and the the fact that so many teams have managed to do that is is simply like outlier statistics but that's also the best way that the teams can can perform against us so when we do lose when we in the and the occasions we do lose it, it feels even more frustrating because it's just such low odds chances that these 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 teams would do that so yeah that, that was my original question to what extent do you think Marcelo Bielsa has built a team that is too competent for this division it is actually something I've I've thought about before as well um, because stylistically we have we hit all all the same parameters as a team like Manchester City will do in re, in relation to their competition hmm. so the dominance possession the the dominance over shots and, and creating chances, but sometimes it feels like when 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 we're especially when we're playing at home, we've we've we're almost guaranteed possession, and it's up to just up to us just to break down the opposition. But I, f- I feel like in terms of relating it to to a Premier League side who replicate that in in a division above, it just feels like they they can rely on mm. the in the individual ability of their players a bit more yeah. than we can. So. So, say for example, Manchester City are home to to Palace. The, the difference in in quality between someone like Mares and his opposite number at fullback, Patrick Van Aanholt, is much. I think is much bigger than say for example Jack Harrison and Nathan Byrne on Saturday. Uh, it feels like those margins are just a bit bigger, and it it's just it makes it a bit easier for them to find uh, solutions that aren't all rooted in you know attacking structure yeah and we put out a thing actually on our channel again this week just looking at just talking a little bit about transition because there's a big this big thing amongst fans which is oh you know we look ponderous in defensive trans uh, attacking transitions and i just threw down a few ideas for why that might be the case and some of the the sort of urban myths about transition that transitioning at speed is always a good thing um and obviously one of those one of those things is um that you know if you're if you're playing against teams who are sitting deeper you can't transition quickly because you can't get in there's no space in behind to get into you've you've already the the, the opposition are always a li- already a little bit more compact 
and it's it's a it's just a it's just so much harder to break down a team that are compact because they're protecting less space relatively, uh, and it's quite easy to drill a team well enough that they they can sit in about two banks of four or a bank of four or five, and and stop the the opposition. Um, when you take into account, as you've said, the the discrepancies in in quality between players like like Mares um, uh, at City and and his opposite. Um, opposite number in, in at fullback for the opposition they've also got players like Bernardo Silva just sitting on the bench that they can bring on who's just a, again like you say a creative individual who will find solutions individually rather than as a team and Leeds just don't really have that they don't have the ability to bring on a player who is going to create an event or a situation out of nowhere we, I mean we we have Pablo Hernandez he's great Tyler Roberts is good in those situations but again the, the just the, the discrepancy in quality between having Kevin De Bruyne David Silva Bernardo Silva um, even Phil Foden as their like low down choice these are all players who, who can create quality chances uh, out of nowhere in tight spaces we don't have that and and the the reason why Leeds do so well is because they can manipulate space better than any other team in 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 the league but Bielsa's system is all about rotations interchanges uh, pulling pulling teams apart and as soon as teams just sit deep it becomes very very hard to do that and so the reason why teams sit deep against Leeds at the moment is because they know that they're nullifying one of the most one of the biggest upsides to to a Bielsa team so I guess that there's there's all kinds of frustrations that we have, which sort of boil down to why don't we just score? And we do create enough chances to score, which is why a lot of this discussion always ends up being a little bit moot because we're just sort of talking about we're talking about how do we create even more chances that we can then go on and miss. Um, but uh, yeah, I think the frustration there is that you, you just kind of always having to think, right, how can we get even more upside? How can we get even more upside? And uh, I, I just think that one, there's a, an inability in some of the fan base to accept that actually what we do is in, in, impressive anyway to create the chances that we do when teams sit deeper against us. Uh, but also, you know, that's that's just what happens when you when the quality in your squad is is less than the quality of um, squads who usually play the way that Bielsa play. And so it gives us a false sense of of what is and isn't possible. Yeah, of course Man City are, are going to be able to do things like that because they've got the players that they've got. When it comes to Leeds, it's not quite so simple as well. Can't they just break down this low block easily? But that's becoming a little bit more of a rant for me. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Um, so we should move on to to QPR. Um, 
again, like what do you say about this game? A goal that changed the game and wasn't particularly deserved. A poor refereeing performance, really. I don't really like talking about referees, but it sort of came down to that. And a similar, similar sort of turn of events that we had when we played against Fulham away from home. Um, it being that that sort of poor. Um, actually, do we play Fulham away? Was it away? Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Um, yeah. But a similar thing where you give away a penalty, a soft penalty, and suddenly the game state changes. The, the opposition team, like you said, when, when leads go up, they can play a certain way. When oppositions go up, they can play a certain way, and, and it's just hard to break teams down like that. Um, have you got any other thoughts about, about the QPR game? Uh, yeah, it's, you know, Bielsa won't make a, a big deal out of it, but you can't mention that game without mentioning the referee. Uh, it's happened to us, I think, three times in London this season now where we've we've essentially started a game 1-0 down because of a poor refereeing decision which which changes everything dramatically uh, obviously if you criticise the ref and we, we pin it all on him it's it's his excuse but it, it's a massive factor uh, in how the game happens um, yeah in the second half it's, it's just you can't believe that we didn't score uh, you throw in a penalty as well as from the moment the second half kicked off for about 20 minutes, they just didn't get out of their half and we were just coming forward in waves. Uh, and we just we just couldn't get that goal. Uh, if if Bamford scores, you, that game could go a thousand different ways from there and we might even end up winning it. Yeah, and I think, I think we would both hasten to add that we don't think that there's a refereeing conspiracy against Leeds. I think we just generally think that the standard of refereeing in the Championship is pretty poor all round. Uh, and it's sort of come back to bite us on the arse a few times too many this season. Um, and then I guess the the nominally uh, high nominally the high point nominally the high point of the of the of the month of January was the Millwall game, um, which I think was big for a lot of us because we went from a situation where we at half time when we were saying you know what well, we're not going to get promoted this season it's just not going to happen to ending the day with everyone else sort of performing badly and us winning and sitting on, on the top of the league again and feeling like we'd sort of lucked out a bit um, again one of the most I think one of the most impressive halves of football under Bielsa in that second half against Millwall um, I don't know whether or not we've dominated a team to quite that extent that we did in that, particularly in the first um, 20, 30 minutes of that half. Um, and it just sort of looked, I mean, the, the jokes about Leeds training with mannequins and Millwall looking like they were mannequins came out. And But I think that was fair. I don't think I've ever seen a team look so devoid of, of, of ideas against us. Um, and then interestingly, I thought Millwall looked a lot better when they were, when they were losing again. Um, what are your thoughts on on the Millwall game? Um, it was nice to see a team. It was nice to see us turning over a deficit for once, because I don't think I feel like we're ever going to overturn a deficit when it when we go down. Um, and that certainly happened again against Wigan, but um, against Millwall, against Millwall, I at two 0 down, I said there's just no hope here. So it was quite nice to see that. But um, any any other takeaways from the the Millwall game? Yeah, but at half time I was pretty resigned to the fact we were losing that game because I just thought to overcome two goals against a team that were they were, they were working so hard and they were they were so invested in protecting the lead uh, with a manager who's who's good at instilling that style of play I thought I thought we I thought we just lost that game but 
Yeah, the second half was was immense, really. Uh, and when you think that we've we've produced that second half against Millwall, and then followed up with the Wigan game a few days later, <laughs> it's just unbelievable highs and lows of this season. All all of that just within a week. So it's just it's ridiculous. Yeah. But yeah, the Millwall game. Just just to mention the XG figures, we've 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 accumulated up over four expected goals in that game without a penalty, which is, you know, there aren't many teams in English league football who who can, you know, light up attacking performances like that. Uh, Manchester so, City would. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and we're both stuck in a rut of creating everything, scoring nothing, mm. allowing nothing and conceding everything. So, um, yeah, just we, we saw the, the potential of this team and then... It's it's Achilles' heel within a matter of days. Yeah, right. I don't want to. I don't want to keep banging on <laughs> about this, but um, we've got we have got a question about um, XG from Jason Middleton. So he says we keep hearing just how poorly Bamford is performing in his XG. Um, I'd like to against his XG. I'd like to hear the same stat across the team for everyone who's had a suitable minimum amount of shots. Um, a comparison to their XG performance last season would also be of interest. Has anyone improved? And I know you've done a little bit of number crunching on this. So what did you find out? Yes. So so basically, just just to sum up generally, um, there's there's no one in our squad this season that is up overperforming their expected goals value by even one. Uh, I think it's Luke Ayling, uh overperforming his goals the most by it, it's it's a decimal number which is hmm. pretty concerning. Uh it's just ev- everything is rooted in underperformance uh and there's there's really no one uh that you can absolve of blame for for whether it's poor finishing or or just just being unlucky really. But um he mentioned Bamford in that and um I think both things are true when you say that we we can't just look at Bamford's finishing as as the overall reason for for Leeds not finishing our chances well enough. But um, the fact is, Bamford's xG number of twenty point six is <laughs> is is over a third of our our team's overall total. So he's he, he's not only getting the lion's share of these chances; they're they're also the highest. Highest quality chances uh, in our squad. Um, I looked across the league in terms of uh, shot quality. Um, players who've attempted at least fifty shots this season. He ranks he ranks fourth out of thirty six players for the quality of his average chance. Uh, there's only Lewis Graben, James Collins, and Ollie Watkins ahead of him. So these are not bad chances that he's getting. Um, it's, it's a very steady flow of good quality chances uh, he's getting more than anyone else um, and the, the quality of them are higher than players like Mitrovic and um, other strikers that are doing well in this league Bowen uh, Carl and Grant there's a whole raft of players who are performing well in the championship this season that don't get the supply that he does so I presume that he's got the highest XG figure this season just in terms of total yeah um, yeah two more than Mitrovic roughly Right, okay. In terms of other players, Jack Harrison is presumably up there. Harrison, yeah, he he's our next biggest source in terms of overall XG. Although it is t- roughly 12 lower than Bamford, which is quite a drop-off. What's his figure then? Harrison is 8.1. He's scored 5, so... Okay, so he's 
running three below, which is quite considerable, I think, for a yeah for a wide player, as especially well. when you consider with teams like Brentford, who whose front three are just mm. lights out almost every game. It seems uh, yeah, we're we're doing a lot of uh, heavy lifting through Bamford in terms of the overall production, but that's not happening, and neither is a real a real supporting cast, to be honest, which is. A bit concerning and something that you feel like we're we're just going to have to fight against uh, to get over the line. I was talking to someone who's um, fairly uh, well connected at um, Brentford, and he was telling me that in their uh, scouting department, they've built they've built an XG model which takes into account the the sort of quality of um, contact on the ball and speed of shot, basically. Um, and one thing I've noticed since um, I was told this is just quite how good all of the Brentford players are, one, at ball striking, and two, how quickly they get their shots away. Um, I wondered whether or not something like that, I mean, we know that Bamford doesn't particularly connect with the ball well. Um, in fact, that's something that you could, I think you could generally say of the Leeds team this season there's been a lot of fluffed shots this season um i wondered if you thought there might be anything in that whether or not the 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 chances that we create actually would require someone like ben rama or ollie watkins or brian and bemo to to be able to take them and make them as as uh, convincing chances as they appear on on shot maps it would be interesting to see it replicated for this Leeds team because you do get the feeling that our results would be pretty poor especially in relation mm. to a team like Brentford uh, but I think we had a question or oh, somebody else mentioned on Twitter uh, about Harrison and Costa swapping wings possibly but mm-hmm. I, I do feel like the fact that Brentford have wing it two wide players that both cut in and play sort of, sort of more as an inside forward than than a traditional winger. That that just it mm-hmm. just allows them better shooting opportunities. I think so. That that could be a possibility. And obviously, obviously, Ollie Watkins is a wide player as well by trade, um, which I think kind of affects things because then there isn't quite the feeling that I mean, this is just anecdotal, but it, it, there may not be quite the feeling that they have to rely on him as a goal scorer because he's sort of in that position out of necessity. And so I think the, their front three is a little, little bit more fluid, whereas I think there's definitely a sense amongst the fan base at Leeds that Bamford is in the team to get goals. Um, and, uh, and and so there's that, that sort of onus is placed on his shoulders that when the team don't particularly perform well in terms of goal scoring chance conversion and he's the he's the main uh blame for that but anyway um yeah i think that's <laughs> that's the end of a, a fairly miserable episode um in terms of february we've got a pretty tough run of games coming up we're playing fourth fifth and sixth in the next three games um do you think that there's a chance that Leeds might come out on top in those games uh, in the sense that we've talked about that Leeds actually are probably better off playing teams who are going to try and create against them? Um, and how do you sort of envisage that we'll be at the end of uh, the end of February? Yeah, it's, there's a feeling that after playing these sides that sit back against us that Brentford might almost be a good thing. Um, but... We'll we'll find out uh, soon enough. Maybe maybe we're really wrong about that because our record at Brentford is awful. But 
and they're also scoring about five goals a game at the moment, which is, <laughs> which is a little yeah. bit unnerving. <laughs> yeah, you just think. I've always felt we're we're a better side against teams that that want to not not go toe to toe, but will will not be so sort of passive in their play, uh, and perhaps allow us allow us some more opportunities to to counter because we have been. On the opportunities that we've had from counter attacks this season, when it's been possible, we've we've been really productive. Uh, I think we we've scored about five or six counter attack goals this season. To, well, defined by Opta anyway, uh, which is right up there, uh, possibly top or joint top with Hull. I think um, so. Maybe that's a side that we can bring in against Brentford, but uh, we'll have to see. Uh, although saying that. Once we once we've got Brentford out of the way, then we're we're right back into it with with Forest because they're they're possibly the biggest culprits in the league for just just sitting back and soaking up pressure. Uh, even when they play at home against likes of Luton, I think they allowed Luton to to have more of the ball. So against us, that's going to be the classic Bielsa seventy percent possession game, and you just hope that. We can defend well enough to not concede, which <laughs> which is the big problem in these games because when teams sit off, they they relinquish that attacking production because they're, they're far from goal. But we've been trying to break down teams that have come to do that while also conceding from stupid chances, which is just the absolute worst formula against those sides. So you just like, you just like to see us be a bit more competent defensively and stop. Stop giving away these daft, uh, these daft goals from situations that don't really merit goals. Uh, I think if we can do that, we'll we'll be competent across all these games. Would you? Which of those two teams would you rather beat, or is it just a case of as long as we win one of those games, we're probably looking in quite good shape? If you if you wanted to pick a game to win, you'd probably pick the second one because then we can take a victory into Bristol and maybe gather some momentum again as opposed to keep winning and losing but um mm. i don't i don't think it matters a huge deal uh which sides i'd i'd just like to see the performances there mostly in these games uh i just want to see us get back to a, a really solid level in terms of defending mostly because mm. it feels like we're always going to be fighting against the tide with this finishing issue unless Augustan comes in and uh just just scores with everything he touches. So it's just that defensive side that I want, I'd like to see in these next three games. I think that brings us to the end of this podcast. And sorry that it was such a miserable affair. Um, hopefully we found some positives, uh, some nuggets of gold in, in amongst the, the general pile of shit that we've had to put up with this with this this month. But Jamie, thank you very much for, for coming on. Uh, for those who enjoy Jamie's stuff you can find it over at Jamie M Kemp uh, and also at LUFC blog underscore um, and obviously if you like our stuff uh, head over to at all stats aren't we that's where most of our stuff is is from um, if you really like our stuff we do have bonus content which is out on Patreon which is uh, there's various tiers that you can subscribe to and don't forget that we have a radio show out on Love Sport Radio every Friday night between 8 and 9 and that is now available on national radio um, Jamie thanks very much enjoy the month and uh, let's hope that we have a bit more of a positive review of February in, in a month's time no worries cheers mate
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.